You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. This is Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. Thanks for tuning in. Well, once or twice a year, I like to check in with Bob Hoy of chartsandmarkets.com. He's a trained geologist, successful resource investor, and he's an economic historian. So when he talks about things like the gold price, he puts it in broad historical perspective. And I don't just mean putting it in perspective of uh, recent decades, but actually going back hundreds of years at a time. So Bob, with that introduction, welcome onto the show. And could you put the gold price, the current gold price, current gold action in historical perspective, please? Yeah, they'll be pleased to. Yeah, I became uh, fascinated with financial history a long time ago and did a full sweep. And you've got the big events in history for the last 300 years have been a great boom in commodities after, you know, maybe 15, 20 years of solid economic growth. This would be a global boom in commodities, often associated with two major countries at war. Well, like, for example, 1920, following the first Great War. Then um, they go back in time. And what I found was that about a decade later, the other great event develops, and that is a global boom in financial assets, stocks and bonds. And they're separated by about a decade. And the first great financial bubble, of course, is well known, the South Sea bubble of 1720, and the previous global speculation in commodities was 1711. And then you go right through, as I said, to, well, here's another one. 1873 was a huge financial bubble. And the global commodities peaked in 1864. And this time around, to our work, the global bubble peaked a year ago, December, January. And that was a decade after the last peak in commodities, which was 2011. We kind of had a double peak in there, 2008, when crude went up to 147, and then 2011, when, you know, silver went to 50, and, you know, it was a it was a pretty good commodity boom. And then a decade later, it brews up into a great financial bubble. There's events within each bubble that are common, one is that copper's real price goes down in the final year and a half or so of the bubble, which it did this time, as gold's real price goes down. And of course, gold's real price, you deflate it by the rate of inflation of the consumer price index. I took it a step further and deflated it by commodity index, the old CRB. And that then compares the cost of mining uh, relative to the bullion price. So those are two items that are common to the completion of a great financial bubble. Another is that real long interest rates go up as the bubble collapses. And also the senior currency, the world's senior currency goes up relative to other currencies. So it sounds like a strange mix, but when you've seen it in the data going back to 1720, and then the next bubble was 1772, then it was 1825 financial bubble, 1873, 1929, and then ours. So we saw this in the completion of our bubble. Copper's real price did go up. Gold's real price uh, did go down. 
and uh, the senior currency became quite firm, uh, speculatively. So the DX up to 114 uh, in October. Uh, we were in the transition from a great financial bubble to what will be yet another, and I've used the term post-bubble contraction. One could use the, de- the term depression. But if you take a look at gold's real price through previous great, you know, the, the post-bubble contractions, the real price tends up. And the key thing is that it tends up relative to the cost of mining. So you don't need a, a change in gold's nominal price in dollar terms. What you need is the cost of mining falling. So uh, the next step on, well, see, I'm going to go from the consumer price inflation and then the CRB, basket of commodities, and if they're going down relative to the bullion price, it costs to mine things. And then the more the one that's really clear is when you compare it to crude oil. Now, not all mines are powered by crude oil or natural gas. Some are fortunate enough to have uh, electrical or hydro. But nevertheless, about 60% of mining costs are relate to energy. Uh, you've got the cost of blasting. You've got the cost of hauling those big earth movers and all that sort of stuff. So this is where it really, for a person just first looking at the cost of mining relative to gold, to, relative to crude oil, is very obvious. And in the last few months, uh, it, it's up by about 50%. Whereas relative to the CRB, gold's price is up by about 27%. So what I want to do is focus on this because the gold bugs really first appeared on the scene in the mid-1960s, and James Dines did some good work in the field, and he was a he was a good researcher all the way through. And the story has been that the U.S. dollar was going to go down. I've agreed with that because the Federal Reserve is crazy. I agree with that. But it was a rare view, say, in 1964, and then now it's a very common view. The point is that if any researcher looks through the history of uh, the financial markets, as I've done, these things stand out. Now, uh, a a classic bubble has completed. The big chuff about inflation more recently is more due to the COVID shutdown and then the central banks going crazy with the money supply. But within it, this huge shutdown, the classic bubble did blow out a decade later with the key items doing what they should be doing. So this is where I really like the gold sector because the prices will continue to fall relative to gold, which means that the operating margins for mines improves. And I'll give you an example. It's home stake. In 1930, 31, you could buy the stock for $9 a share. It had underperformed in the 1929 boom because gold's real price was going down. Although in U.S. dollar terms, it was fixed at that $20.67 an ounce. And you take it to, uh, Roosevelt wasn't installed in office until March 1933, and he started experimenting with gold and eventually moved it up to $35. But if you take it to the end of 1932, no change in the price of gold, home stake 
earnings were up about 130%, and the real price was up about that amount, 130%. And the, the stock was moving up relative to the S&P. So this is, this is the other thing to look forward to in the sector, is that the gold stocks are not just going to go up, but they will more than likely outperform the S&P. So uh, what I've done, and I really got excited about it in June when I thought, hey, let's go to the deflate gold by the CRB and see what it tells us. And what it told was uh, gold was extremely oversold relative to the CRB. But using other features, we figured that it would take until September, October to get the low end for the gold shares that would end the bear market that started in 2011. And you're looking at the GDXJ, that really kind of worked out kind of nicely. Our advice then in, in June was that look for end of the bear market in, you know, around October. And that did come in, and then we would be accumulating gold stocks from big ones to little ones, depending on one's <laughs> portfolio. And so what we want to look at here is, again, resort to Homestake on that $9 purchase. Eventually, Homestake got up to $65 in the mid-1930s. And yes, Roosevelt did increase the price of gold to $35, which really moved the real price up hugely, and which was what was happening anyway. So all he did was reinforce Mother Nature. And Homestake's stock got up to $65. And in those days, gold miners paid out virtually everything by way of dividend. And it was paying $4 a share dividend on a $9 purchase. So I mean, hey, that's making money. So this time around, in this forthcoming post-bubble contraction, the gold miners will be more interested in in building assets uh, rather than dividending out. And you can see with energy costs being about 60% 60% of the cost of mining, how that one works. And it also flows over to um, gold prospects, gold exploration uh, bets, because, hey, eventually, if you're fortunate with an exploration play, it ends up as a mine, and then you've you got the benefits of, of uh, relative costs. So I really, uh, I'm, we're very bullish, and this lasts for quite a while. So the other thing is you look at it from the institutional side, and uh, the, the big funds really don't have the patience for the gold market. It's uh, even with the bigger cap gold, it's, it's, it's a small cap market. But if you get into a bull market where the GDXJ is outperforming the S&P, there's going to be some equity fund managers there that are where they may not normally buy golds. They always say, hey, this is a performance wagon that I've just got to get on. So this would run for many years uh, with some recessions and whatnot coming in. It'll become a very popular sector. So our view now is that one should be buying the dips and we're looking to have a very good representative position and looking for not just gold shares to go up, but to outperform the S&P. Now, that's going to be a very happy circumstance. And uh, depending on the size of one's account, you can go for from the big ones right to the middle and sized ones. And me being an old field geologist, I really like the junior exploration stocks. Uh, 
if you get a little portfolio of those, I can remember in 1996, I forget why I did it, but I, I uh, just decided we'd put up forward a list of five exploration stocks. One of them was Air Keeper. Well, it went from pennies to was taken over by Barrick for, I think, $2 billion. So it was a huge gain, and you only have one of those. So we put together a list of uh, about a dozen interesting juniors, ranging from kind of like pre-production, production, and with some what I think are pretty good exploration bets in there. You, you can get stuck with a dead one, but you only need to have one or two work out. And uh, it saves messing around with buying uh, gold futures or silver futures. Uh, we don't see much change in the price of gold. And in previous post-bubble contractions, silver really underperforms gold. So we wouldn't be messing around too much with silver stocks, uh, but really do like the gold ones. And uh, as I said, we've got a list of... Uh, of pretty good-looking bets in the sector, and I think the worst you can happen is you can get in a in a stuck one where you just get bored. And uh, but you have uh, uh, perhaps a uh, a, a multi-year uh, rise in gold stocks ahead of us. So, what would be the one thing that could throw a monkey wrench in this thesis? You've overlaid over our current um, current day, you know, historical precedent. But what was the most likely thing to go wrong, in your opinion, with this thesis? Um, if there is not a post-bubble contraction, it, the gold real price goes up in each, each post-bubble contraction. If you, if you take the major gold rushes, Klondike, 18, late 1890s, that, that depression went from 1873 to 1895. And I've got a list of, of the great gold rushes, and they have all occurred close to the bottom of a Great Depression, when many men are unemployed and the real price is high. Now, of course, they've really discovered all of the surface uh, alluvial gold deposits, more or less. So the next uh, great craze for gold will be, you know, proper geology, field work, looking in new areas and uh, even chasing in, in old areas. But uh, the the gold market will perform. Um, there's not very many people, researchers out there who have done the studies that I've done. And uh, I'm convinced that the tide has turned from inflation and financial assets to deflation and most everything except gold's price. And even, even more recently, and using gold relative to the CRB as representing costs or gold divided by crude oil, that one's easy to see, you know, because I said about 60% of mining costs are energy related. So uh, it's happening. Uh, and the, the, uh, the hits, of course, will be the sector getting overbought and going into maybe a two or three months correction. But it's going to be like the long bull market for stocks. You buy the dips. So, the, you know, buying the stock market dips for the last decade was a successful policy. And it flips and goes the other way now, uh, and the success will be um, having a representative position in gold stocks and then buying the dips on, on a lengthy bull market. Uh, I'm very enthused about it. it. It's a field that I've studied for a very long time. I got my way through a geology degree in a couple of summers working for junior mining companies in the field, uh, 
British Columbia, Northwest Territories, Yukon. It was a fabulous summers and a fascinating subject. And then I made the mistake of buying, uh, making money on the first stock I bought. We were coming up with some very good drill results in the field, and I saved up $500 and went to a walk-in broker in Vancouver here and opened an account and made some money in the stock. I think I bought it at $1.17 in that February, and uh, by... I think by May I was out at five and a quarter, and then that's it was that June when I started with Wood Gundy, which was Canada's premier investment dealer. And the stock eventually went to seven dollars. So, anyway, so that got me in the investment business, and where I've been for a very long time. And Bob, your website is chartsandmarkets.com. Remind listeners what they can find there. Yep, we've introduced our service now. I do the historical stuff and cover all markets like the yield curve, uh, base metals, precious metals. And my colleague, Ross Clark, is a genius in technical work, and he has some very fine approaches, too. So the two go together very well. And uh, so one side tries to look for a potential high or a potential low. And the technical side, when you get there, if it's really oversold, hey, your, your anticipations are working out. And uh, this worked very well on accumulating gold stocks, uh, you know, November, October, November. And then they're a little over, they became overbought recently. It's just the same as the U.S. dollar has become oversold, very oversold. So uh, there's some corrections in here, but uh, as I say, and looking at the longer term, it is to buy the dips in your favorite gold stocks. And people, if want to get a list, we'd be very pleased to to provide a list, and uh, Ross is continually monitoring them for overbots or oversolds and that sort of stuff. And some of them are small cap producers, and some are, I think, have great exploration potential. And uh, we'd be delighted to share the list with anybody who is interested. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming on today's show. Bill, it was so good to chat with you and look forward to another time, too. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. 
the mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.